This is the GGC Life Podcast. Okay, great. Why don't you go ahead and be seated. I think I came just for that session. So we can go home now. No. Uh, also, what, like Daniel said, we were here last year, and it was the first time in a number of years we've been able to get out of Tasmania. And it had such an impact on us, uh, on me personally. And so I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, a little bit nervous because I was reading this morning that that term teacher, James 3, 1 says, uh, let not many of you be teachers because you face a stricter uh, judgment or accountability. And I think, well, you sure you got that right, Holy Spirit? Shouldn't it be let not many of you be prophets because you face a stricter accountability? In the Old Testament, if they got it wrong, they died. Let not many of you be apostles because if you lay the wrong foundation, you mess things up. But it's actually the other way around, and I think there's something of, for all of us, understanding the authority of the Word and submitting to that crosses every gift. We've got to be built on that. And so uh, we want to do that. You know that uh, the Bible says something about the anointing that breaks the yoke, but it also says something about truth setting us free. Is it the anointing or is it truth? Yes. There's something of the anointing that impacts our soul, but there's something about transforming our thinking that allows us to continue to be free. Too often it's our thinking that opens a door that gets us bound and that God can touch us, but if we don't change the thinking, if we don't close the door, we just open up the, to the enemy again. So. It's both, and that's why it's so important to, that we see the whole uh, Ephesians 5 gifting. I'm, I, again, I'm so grateful to you guys, uh, Leon, Christine, uh, Josiah, Leon, you guys, for actually hosting something that I think is on the cutting edge of what God is doing. Uh, there's something of drawing gifts from different streams that is demonstrating something of unity. So absolutely wonderful. I love the word because God spoke it. But you know, there's something that unless we open up our hearts, he doesn't hit us over the head and make us receive it. We have a, a responsibility to be doers of the word, to respond to it. We can read the word and it does nothing unless we open up our hearts. So let's pray. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you who lead us in truth. We thank you, Father, for the word that you've given us so much more than we ever can begin to comprehend. There's so much depth, so much of your revelation of yourself and your ways. Uh, we're so grateful for that, but we simply say, Holy Spirit, we need you to lead us into truth. We need you to open up our minds. And we thank you that you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Real quick review of something that I shared last year. It's going to take about uh, two minutes. I'm going to speak very fast. Uh, if you can't understand me, that's my American accent. Uh, just pretend you're watching TV, and you'll get some of it. Uh, and that is that to understand that we stay biblical, we need to get back to three things. Is what we're saying what God said? Does it include all of what God said? And is it the emphasis of what God said? Is it what God said? God, all Scripture is inspired of God, or God breathed. It's spoken by God. It's what He said. We don't have the privilege of changing it or adding to it. We need to say, what did God say? Now, what did someone else say God said? Now, we can, we can see something of God's hand in leading people, and I agree with Daniel, testimony is, is important. But you've got to get back to the Word. What did God say? And does what we say include all of what God said? We can't pick and choose bits and pieces out and create a whole doctrine around something that we just like, you know? And then, do we have the emphasis that God has? A truth that becomes the truth quickly leads to untruth. So if we take a truth and we say, this is the whole thing, we're all about grace. Everything is grace. Everything is, now grace is important, but there's something about walking in step with the Spirit as well that releases God's ministry. So it's not just, hey, I, I just have grace. I, don't, I can do anything. You know, if we overemphasize that, we get to the point of uh, Gnosticism that, that the flesh doesn't count and it's just, you know, something of the Spirit. And so it doesn't matter how I live my life, the grace of God, but there's something about walking in step with the Spirit that releases the ministry that God calls us to. Grace is all about salvation. In grace, we are saved by grace. We add nothing to it, but we partner with Him for the extension of His kingdom that requires our obedience. Now, if you take obedience from, from that part and you stick it over here for salvation and you have to obey certain things in order to be saved, you missed it. It's no longer grace. But if you take grace from here and you put it over here and say, it doesn't matter what you do, God's bigger. You're never going to see the release of ministry. You still with me? Okay, I, I'm getting sidetracked because that wasn't in my notes. Uh, I was reading through the Gospels in December, and something hit me. Let me encourage you. Sometimes it's good to read a whole book or the whole Bible. Don't answer this, but how many of you have read through the whole Bible? I had a uh, couple of young guys that I know of who were studying theology at a Bible college and went through the whole course on theology and didn't read through the whole Bible. God didn't write the Bible as a textbook, but as a story. And as any story, it has a progression. And too often we chop it up 
and we think it can be a textbook. Let me encourage you, you need to read the whole thing. How many of you are aware that when it was written, it didn't have chapters and verses? Is that, is that a shock to you? You know, the, uh, the book of First Timothy, Paul writes a letter to Timothy. Daniel was, was telling us, he writes this letter to Timothy to deal with some situations, but there's a, a statement that occurs three times. It is a, a, a good and, and faithful saying, and that introduces three topics that he's dealing with. And so the whole letter covers three topics, but it's six chapters. It's not covering six topics, but if you only read a chapter a day, you get halfway through a topic and it stops. And then you come back the next day and you start reading something that you've lost the continuity of. If I wrote you a letter, how many of you would read it one paragraph a day? <laughs> I'm going to read the first paragraph and put it aside. And tomorrow I'll read the second paragraph and put it aside. And I'm going to do this for a number of days. Yet so often we approach the Bible that way and we miss the story. We miss the bigger picture. Are you still with me? Yeah. Okay. It's not a textbook. So, bottom line is I was reading through the Gospels in December, as you do, uh, and something hit me because I was reading the whole thing, and it's, uh, it was this, that if you read through the story, you see that Jesus had an impact with large crowds. You know, at, at one point, there's, he feeds the 5,000 men, it says. Uh, they didn't, for some reason, they didn't count women and children, but there was probably there. So it could have been 10,000 or more, a large crowd. Uh, that, was, that was part of what he did. Uh, miracles, you know, wherever he went, there was miracles. I mean, we read that and we get excited. There was healing, and these signs will accompany those who believe. There's, there's uh, healing and there's deliverance, and uh, exciting to hear the, the move of the Spirit. I'm with Daniel. I believe that we're seeing the greatest move of God ever in history. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get aside. I'm going to run out of time here. Because I did a study of the growth of the kingdom. And it started, obviously, with Jesus. I'll do that after. <laughs> that, that'll be after lunch. It's exciting. 200,000 people get saved today around the world. Every day. More than ever before in history. People say, I want to go back to the New Testament, to the book of Acts, where 3,000 were added in a day. We're so far beyond that. And we're only beginning to see. Okay, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So I saw this wonderful thing. Jesus spoke to large crowds. And then when he rose from the dead, he spent 40 days on earth before the ascension. Forty days teaching his disciples. But he never gathered a large crowd. I mean, it, it was shocking when I read through and I went, he was here 40 days. What, can you imagine if the disciples went out and said, hey, this guy who, who fed you, this guy who, who healed people, he rose from the dead. Come and see. There would have been 50,000. 
100,000. But he didn't. And it hit me that after three years of ministry, huge crowds, miracles, rising from the dead, he didn't gather large crowds or do miracles after he rose from the dead. In fact, after that whole time, there was 120 in the upper room. I read that, and it was thought-provoking at the very least. It got me thinking. Okay, I'm going to put that on the back burner. If this were a cooking show, <laughs> that goes on the back burner. It's going to simmer for a while while we deal something else, and, and then we'll come back to that, okay? How many of you like cooking shows? With that in mind, I was looking at a bigger background picture. Starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God said, uh, so, sorry, I was, that was 26, and 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of, of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. We're going to come back to that after lunch again. But chapter 9 and verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Chapter 22 and verse 17. Yes, I'm old school. I actually have to read it. Uh, 22 and verse 17. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the star of the heavens and the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemy. Wonderful promise. In your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Chapter 28 and verse 3. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of people. Something of God's pattern that is multiplication. Now let's jump over to some scriptures in the New Testament. You know this, but Matthew chapter 28 after the Resurrection, from verse, uh, I could read the whole thing, but for time. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. His command was that they made disciples. Acts. Chapter 6 and verse 7 says, And the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Chapter 9, verse 31. And the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. 
You're getting the message here. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. I was going to look up here for the, uh, the scripture. There it is. And the things that you heard from me among many witnesses commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Are you getting something? God's pattern is multiplication. We've been talking about reformation and the restoring of truth and getting out of darkness. Daniel did a great job of that, and Leo referred to it last night. There has been God's uh, pattern of restoring truth. People tended to grab a hold of that truth, and then that became their identity. And when God wanted to restore new truth, he had to find a new people because they became the very ones who persecuted the next move of God. And you see that throughout history. And so, as Daniel was saying, Martin Luther, you know, it's, uh, salvation is, is uh, through faith alone. It's not through works. And so they got persecuted by the system that they came out of, and they were derogatorily called Lutherans, followers of Luther. But they took that as a name. And that became their truth. And then when God wanted to restore the truth of baptism by immersion for believers, he had to find another group of people. And they became Anabaptists, rebaptizers. And they were persecuted not only by the Catholics, but by the Lutherans. So you go throughout history, and you see that all this Reformation is leading us to the point where what God is emphasizing and doing today, I believe, is the fivefold ministry. But it's not that alone. It's that it's the equipping of the saints. It's the, the priesthood of believers. We don't need the fivefold ministry if we don't have a commitment to the, the priesthood of believers. God's, we're at the culmination of all of this reformation for this point in time, for an outpouring of the Spirit like we've never seen before on every believer a kingdom of priests that is multiplied. Here's a thought. Why did Jesus never draw large crowds and do miracles after his resurrection? Because that wasn't his pattern. He was waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the disciples to multiply. His pattern is multiplication. Be fruitful and multiply still applies to all of us. He wants to use everyone. He wants to use all of us. That's the emphasis of the Holy Spirit. That's the culmination of all of this reformation to get us to this point that we have an army of believers empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's his pattern. The means he uses to accomplish that is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says Jesus was the anointed one. Jesus the Christ. Christ is not his last name. He's not Jesus Christ, like I'm Russell Doty. No one calls me Russell unless I'm misbehaved. My mom <laughs> called me Russell. My wife sometimes calls me Russell if I misbehave. It's Russ. But I have a last name. Jesus didn't have a last name. He was Jesus, the Christ. Christ meaning the Messiah, the anointed one. He was the anointed one. 
We see that uh, in Acts 4, 8, I'm sorry, Luke 4, 18. He says, the Lord God has anointed me because he, uh, the Spirit of God is upon me because he's anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So he was anointed by what? The Spirit of God. Acts uh, 10, 38. Acts 10, 38. I'm looking up here because I'm too slow. You guys are too, too quick. They, they get it faster than I do. There it is. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all. You, we know that. His anointing was the Holy Spirit. I think it was David Balestri last year who talked to us about when Jesus ascended and went to be with the Father, he no longer needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So he said, if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit, the anointing. You need the anointing. You're going to be like me. You can't do it without that. So now we see that we're anointed. We will receive the, the, the gift of the Father. Wait until you receive the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, when the Holy, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. 1 John 2.20 talks about an anointing that teaches us. So there's something about the anointing. You guys know this. I'm just reminding you. But it's almost like Jesus is saying, I've called you to impact the world, but don't try this without the Holy Spirit. It's going to kill you. You can't do it in your own strength. Just like he was anointed, we're anointed. So I want to say this. His pattern is multiplication, but the means that he used to accomplish that was the Holy Spirit. In essence, it was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that saw the kingdom advance. It wasn't just the resurrection. If it were just the resurrection, Jesus could have gathered large crowds of people, could have done miracles, probably seen 50,000, but... He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. He taught them about the kingdom and said, wait for the Holy Spirit. And then that multiplication of the anointing saw the kingdom begin to advance. Thousands, 3,000 in a day, 5,000 in a day. Jesus' plan was people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. You still with me? So let me, uh, let me get controversial here. I'm not controversial to this point. I want to say the same thing, but I want to use different words. And I'm well aware that the words I'm using are not found in the Bible. God's pattern is decentralization, which is what multiplication is. It's decentralization. Man's pattern is centralization. Man's pattern is control. Let me, let's, let's see the church and let's see something of the Catholic church where we're going to bring everybody under the control of one person and we're going to, you know, there are seven cardinals in the Catholic church that determine the teaching 
of the whole church worldwide. And so as Daniel was saying, the, the, the premise before was that people couldn't read the Bible. They didn't want you reading the Bible because they wanted to maintain control. Just the opposite. We see it in every human government. Centralization is power. If you look at history, every government in history, without exception, moves toward totalitarianism, a centralizing and a controlling of power. Whether it's socialism or communism or, or democracy, it moves to the same place. Democracy moves a little bit slower, but it's still moving to the same place. Someone said to me in my church, they were lamenting, they said, our government's becoming communistic. I said, you're absolutely right. Don't expect anything else. That's what happens throughout history. That's man's way. Sorry, I'm getting excited. But here's the challenge. If we're not careful... That mentality creeps into the church. And it becomes about centralization, not decentralization. Yet, his means of accomplishing this advancement of his kingdom to include people from every tongue, tribe, and nation is the Holy Spirit. There's something about that that makes us uncomfortable. Because almost without exception, people want to add something else. We want to add more. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. From verse 17. This is the story of Paul. Paul gets saved. You know the story. Has an encounter with Jesus. Isn't that our dream and desire that people encounter Jesus? Not that they encounter a great church, but they actually come face to face. Paul comes face to face with Jesus, and then he, he's told to, uh, to go, and uh, this guy will come. And verse 17, for lack of sake of time, and Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him he said brother Saul the Lord God the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may be sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and received his sight at once and he rose and was baptized and when he had received food he was strengthened, and Saul sent, spent some days with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he preached Christ in a synagogue that he was the Son of God. He encounters Jesus. Obviously, you know the story. He's blind. So God sends this guy, and what does he do? Prays for him that is, he would receive his sight. He gets baptized. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he immediately begins to minister. Think about that for a second. How many of us would add... Oh, he needs some theological training. He only knows the Old Testament. The Old Covenant. We've got to give him some training. Or, this guy's got some bad relationships. 
He put people in jail. He's got to make that right before God can use it. Or he needs to show the fruits of repentance. It needs to be at least a year before God can use it. Think about that for a second. Now, hear me. I, I believe training, any training we can get is good. But it's not a prerequisite. The prerequisite is the Holy Spirit. Anything else is beneficial, but it's not a prerequisite. As soon as we make it a prerequisite, what, what we're showing is we don't actually trust the Holy Spirit. If you read through Acts, Paul goes, he preaches the gospel, people get saved, church is started, and he comes back and he appoints elders. They didn't have, they didn't have the Bible. What did they have? They had the Holy Spirit. And the kingdom advanced throughout the whole known world. What does that mean for us? You've got to have a heart conviction that God's pattern is multiplication. Every one of us. If you're involved in five-fold ministry, you better have a heart conviction because there's no need for five-fold ministry without multiplication. It exists for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. We have to have a conviction of, of multiplication. If you're not involved in that, you need to have a conviction that God's pattern is multiplication, that he wants to use you. Yeah. Not just someone else. That's where Reformation has brought us to this point of a releasing of a kingdom of priests to do the work of the ministry. Let me ask you a question. Are you multiplying? Or just adding? Are you focused on adding people to your church? Or are you focused on multiplying anointed people who can do the work of the ministry? If it were only about adding, all Jesus had to do was have a big gathering and do miracles. And 50,000, 100,000 might have gathered. Uh, Jerusalem could have been the center of the world. Everyone came there. But his pattern was that this was going to go, not everyone come to Jerusalem, but the anointing of the Spirit was going to go to every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's still his pattern. But the second thing, not only do we need a heart conviction that God's pattern is multiplication, we have to ask, actually ask ourselves, do we have confidence in the Holy Spirit in people? Jesus does. Or do we think they need more? Do you have confidence in the Holy Spirit in people? As leaders, 
Are we gathering? Or are we equipping and sending and releasing? Let me tell you, I believe that if your heart is equipping and releasing, God will add. Because that's what he's looking for. That's his pattern. And too often if we gather, then we have to begin to compromise to, to hang on to people. And the pressure that that brings on leaders to hold people. Would you bow your head for a moment? It's not more spiritual to bow your head. It's just easier not to get distracted by other people or other things. We're going to break for lunch in a moment, and I just want to give you a time to respond to the Word of God. Because if you don't, if we're hearers but not doers, we actually are deceived. If we hear and don't respond, then we're actually deceived. That's what the book of James says. And so I just want to give you a moment. Are you convinced that God wants to use you? And are you convinced the Holy Spirit is enough? See, the lie of the devil is I'm, I'm not qualified, I'm not ready. I'm not anointed enough. I don't know enough. I haven't studied enough of the Bible. Churches were planted and they didn't even have the Bible. Yes, it is a gift of God. Don't ever ignore that. But how much you know the Bible is not what qualifies you. If that were the case, none of us would ever do anything because there's so much more that we can know. But if you're a leader, I want to ask you, are you multiplying? Are you saying, who am I discipling? As Daniel was speaking to us. Am I expecting multiplication? Because I believe that's what God is doing that's the culmination of this whole 500-year history of Reformation to bring us to this point where there is a moving of the Spirit. Why are we not ready? Because we need a kingdom of priests. Who are going to disciple the thousands that get saved? Every believer. Who's going to make sure that they uh, get grounded in the Word? Every believer. Who's going to baptize them? Who's going to make sure they're filled with the Holy Spirit when they come in? Thousands and thousands and thousands. Every believer. Let me tell you, this building will never be big enough no matter how many services you do. Or whatever building you're in. Holy Spirit. We want to be doers. And so, Lord, even now, as we recognize that your pattern is multiplication, would you... Highlight to those of us who are leaders, those that your hand is on, that we don't have to release them at this point, but we do have to acknowledge your hand and, and partner with you to disciple them. 
while your head's bowed, just before the Lord, I just, there's some that there's something of God's hand on you to plant churches. And there's something of multiplication in that. But let me tell you, if your desire is to plant a church so that you can be the person in front, you've got the wrong motive. If your plan is to plant a church so you can multiply believers and multiply disciples and build more churches, there's something of God's heart in that. And so, I'm not calling you to church planting. Uh, as five-fold ministry, we don't call people to church planting. Only Jesus does. Jesus determines that he's going to place a candlestick, and he calls someone to partner with him to do that. But if that's you, just tell in your heart, what is that church going to look like? Adding or multiplying? Holy Spirit, we thank you for the incredible privilege of being a part of what you're doing. Lord, not just being a part, but at this point in history, probably the most exciting time in the history of the planet, in the moving of your spirit like we've never seen before, in the, the multiplying of believers and disciples and spirit-anointed people. Lord, we've prayed for years for this outpouring that we're beginning to see now. And all we can do our only response is like Isaiah, here am I. Send me. Use me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the GGC Life podcast. We hope you feel encouraged. Be blessed.